0: Dear God, we thank you for today. Uh, we thank you for bringing us together um, to worship you and to um, to read your word and to um, see what truth you have for us this morning. We pray that as we think of uh, uh, think of your love this morning, as we uh, open up the Psalms and and really see what what uh, David has to say about uh, you and your love, we just pray that we would really uh, consider these things and and. That you would use them to speak to our heart and to uh, correct our thinking uh, if if need be. And I just pray that you would uh, use your word this morning to um, speak to each one of us. I pray that you would uh, be with us as we uh, seek to worship you um, and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, it is Valentine's Day, it is the holiday of love, or at least that's what we're told, right? holiday of commercialized love where we are instructed that if we love somebody we must buy them something whether it be flowers or candy or a a greeting card Um, and if you are wondering I did pass the test I I bought flowers for Chelsea so I do love her (laughs) but it is the holiday that we celebrate love Um, I am partially joking I, I actually don't mind Valentine's Day Maybe I'm a bit of a romantic, but either way that is that is seems to be what is on everyone's minds um, this time of year is is love. I know definitely on our college campus um, at cSU, love is definitely in the air, which I'm sure is shocking at a Christian college. but for example, one of our girls' dorms is helping people out by uh purchasing and delivering flowers. For anybody who would uh, like to use their service, they kind of make it easier for everyone to, to show their love to either friends or that special someone. And even the guys in our dorm are coming to us for either advice on what to get or bringing their flowers to Chelsea to have her help them cut their, their flowers so they can give the perfect gift to their special someone. It seems that love is on everyone's mind. And it's a good feeling to be loved, isn't it? Whether it's by your friends or family or spouse or that special person in your life. It is a good feeling to be loved. I remember the first time that Chelsea told me that she loved me. And that is a special feeling. But even more so, to be loved by God. But how often do we think about being loved by God? How often do we think about the love of God? And do we realize what it is to be loved by God? what that means. Today, that is what I would like to uh, spend our time this morning looking at, is the love of God. And we will be looking at Psalm chapter 36. And Psalm 36 is a lament, so it seems a little strange that we would go there on Valentine's Day to a lament psalm. But, it is a lament that reflects on the wicked who oppose the faithful, and that's how it starts. But then, David turns to the steadfast love of God. And at, at the end of the psalm, David concludes by praying to God that He would continue to pour out His love on him. And Psalm 36 is a lament that follows David's general um, structure for his lament psalms. There's there's almost always in, in David's laments a a section of lament and then a section of a, a section of lament or complaint, and the, the thing, the problem that he has, and then he makes a petition or a request from God, and then he always includes a section of praise to God. Now these are not always in the same order, and here in Psalm 36, you'll see that um, he begins with his complaint or his lament, and then the middle of the psalm is two sections of praise to God for his steadfast love, and then he closes with his request to pour out his love on him. And the central idea of Psalm chapter 36 is that God's love provides all that we could ever, God provides all that we could ever need through his steadfast love. So let's read Psalm chapter 36 this morning. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. For he flatters himself in his own eyes and that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and to do good. He plots trouble while on his bed, and he sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast you save, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God! The children of mankind take refuge in it, in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. O continue your steadfast love to those who know you, and your, up, and your righteousness to the upright of heart. Let not the foot of arrogance come upon me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. There the evildoers lie fallen. They are thrust down, unable to rise. As you can see, there is a structure to David's lament here. In the first four verses, he speaks of the wicked and that the wicked have no fear of God. And then he moves into his praise of God's love. He, he, in 5 and 6, he talks about how immeasurable the love of God is. That there is no way to even measure how great God's love is. Then he talks about how precious the steadfast love of the Lord is. And then he, like I said, he closes with his request to continue, for God to continue pouring out his steadfast love on him. So in his first section here, the lament of David, David starts the psalm by speaking of the characteristics of the wicked. And this is David's complaint. This is his problem that he's facing at this time. Now David David probably has specific people in mind as he's writing this psalm that have been tormenting him and he cries out to God about it. And he's not complaining about a specific act um, of wickedness that has happened to him, but more likely the, the ways of the wicked in general. This psalm is almost characteristic of wisdom literature, something you would read in Proverbs or something like that, where it speaks of the ways of the wicked, the things that the wicked do. In verse 1 it starts off with transgression speaks to the wicked or this could be literally translated an oracle of transgression Some translations uh translate this this first verse differently or they o- omit this phrase altogether but it really makes a a startling uh observation about the wicked Now normally when we see this phrase it is an oracle of God or an oracle of one of the prophets or an oracle of David. And really what it's saying is this is a word coming from God, either through the prophets or from God Himself. This is who is speaking to this person. Now normally you see often in the Psalms an oracle of David, meaning this is what the Lord has spoken to David. But who is speaking to the wicked? Where do the wicked receive their oracle from it's from transgression or from sin. Sin speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. The wicked receive their instruction from sin. The wicked listen to sin. Sin is what is informing the heart of the wicked. He goes on to say, There is no fear of God before his eyes, and that's a very strong expression from David here. The wicked don't even consider God in the way that they live. It's not that they deny that there is a God, it's that they just don't even care. That they don't consider or fear God. Those, as Trumper Longman comments, he says, Those who fear God are wise, godly, and righteous, while those who don't are foolish, ungodly, and wicked. Since they do not fear God, they misperceive themselves as the center of the universe, and they flatter themselves and do not recognize their sin. Like the fool in Proverbs, they do not listen to their correction or pay attention to their mistakes, and thus they are doomed to repeat them. Another commenter says, The issue is not whether God exists, but whether He matters. Not His reality, but His relevance. Relevance. This is the position of many people. Many people do not fear God. Whether or not they would deny His existence or not, they, they live as though they deny, deny His existence. They live as though He does not matter. And unfortunately, this is the position of believers at sometimes. Sometimes we live as though God doesn't matter. Sometimes we live as the wicked do. We may not say that. We may not say that God doesn't matter or that we don't fear God. But the way that we live would say that. He goes on in verse 2. He says, For he flatters himself in his own eyes, so that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. He's disguising his wickedness. Whether he's justifying it or making excuses for it, as the Net Bible translates it, he said, it says, For he is too proud to recognize and give up his sin. I think that's a good way to, to explain the wicked here. In verse 3 it goes on, that the words of his mouth are trouble and deceit, and he has ceased to act wisely and do good. The wicked are liars. They're deceitful. They do not care about what is wise and right. They do what they want. Verse 4, he continues that he plots trouble while on his bed. He is obsessed with sin. Even when he is going to sleep, he is thinking about the evil that he can do the next day. He sets himself in a way that is not good and he does not reject evil. Another way to say this is that he is committed to a lifestyle of sin. And this is the wicked. These are the ways of the wicked. David has explained his problem, the trouble that he's facing. This is his lament or his complaint to God. But now you can see in verse 5, David pivots. He is no longer focusing on his problem or on the wicked. He now turns his attention to God. He t- turns his attention to God's love. He says in verse 5, Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. And here, your steadfast love is a focus of this psalm. And it is a very well known term in the Old Testament. This is the, the Hebrew word for this is the chesed of God. And chesed, is a Hebrew term, is often translated. In many different ways. It can be loyal love or unfailing kindness or devotion. It is a love or affection that is based on a prior relationship. Now, This is a term in Hebrew that is very difficult or even impossible to translate into English. We just don't have a word that fully encapsulates all the meaning of the word hesed in Hebrew. And it's, I almost feel like it should be left untranslated because it is so hard to convey the meaning of it. I'm not sure if that would be the best way to go, but if I ever translate the Bible in my own version, I'll let you know. (laughs) So as you can see here, there's a little graph of how, I don't know if you can see that very well, but how the word hesed is used. It's used 246 times in the Old Testament. And it's translated in more than a dozen different ways. And you can see some of the examples there. Generally, it's used as the term love or steadfast love. Um, or it could mean, and sometimes it's, it's translated as kindness or loyalty or faithfulness. Or, there's many different ways that this word can be translated. And this is an important word to understand because this is really a feature of the Old Testament and how the Old Testament speaks of God. It's a word that's used to describe God's character. It's who God is. It is a main focus of the Old Testament writers when talking about God. Again, it's it's usually translated love or a steadfast love, an unfailing love. This hesed is what this psalm is centered on. And David uses it in verses 5 and 6 to describe the hesed or steadfast love of God. God's people enjoy His steadfast love, His righteousness, faithfulness, and justice, as He says in these verses. And God displays these qualities in abundance, more than we can even handle. His love and faithfulness reach upwards to the heavens, as He says here in verse 5. It extends to the heavens. And His faithfulness to the clouds. His, his, he continues that His righteousness is as high as the highest mountains. And His judgments are as deep as the sea. David is exclaiming that there is no limit to these characteristics of God. There is no limit to God's love. There is no limit to how faithful God is. There's no limit to His righteousness. How holy God is. And His justice, His judgments. There is no limit to the qualities of God's character. That's the first section of Phrase where he just kind of explains how limitless God's, God's love is. And then he goes on in verses 7-9 through nine to be more specific as to the benefits of God's love. How, how God's people benefit from receiving God's love. It says in verse 7, How precious is Your steadfast love, O God. The first thing David says here is that God's steadfast love or His hesed is precious. And this word here is is used to describe something of high value, like a precious stone. David is describing God's steadfast love as something that is incredibly valuable. Something rare, like a precious diamond or a a precious stone like a ruby. That's the word that's used in Hebrew. That's how greatly David values the love of God. That's how greatly he sees God's love. So how greatly do we value the love of God? I mean, we value precious things, whether it's a diamond. I mean, we value... You ladies that are married value the the engagement stone that you received from your husband. You wear it around and, and show. How, and not only that, it's a precious diamond, but it's the thought behind it that you value it immensely. So we have things in our lives that we value like this. But is God's love one of them? Do we see God's love as, as having infinite worth? Does it mean that much to us? It did to David. He continues here, the children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Now this is an interesting phrase here. It it attributes um, characteristics to God as a way to to show um, God's protection. Now, God doesn't actually have wings, but He's using a picture here to describe something that is hard to understand david is is giving the picture of a a mother bird who takes her young under her wings to protect them and when i was a when I was a young child, there was a man that came around to our church every summer and he was a traveling uh, storyteller um, he was a a christian man he was a very godly man, and he would go around and tell stories and he he wrote books uh, children's books and and had like cassette tapes. I remember we had a bunch of them where he would tell stories to illustrate. Um, truths from the Bible. And one of the stories he would tell to illustrate the love of God was there was this farmer that had a chicken. And he loved this chicken. And one day there was a fire on the farm. And the field lit on fire and he could not find his chicken. Well, after the fire was put out and he went looking in the field, he found this chicken. And it was all burned up. And he was... Very sad. But he went to pick it up and realized that there was baby chicks that were hidden underneath the wings of this chicken, and this chicken had protected the babies from the fire. And that's how David speaks of God's love. That he takes his young under his wings to protect them, like birds do, like like chickens do with their young. He protects them from danger. David continues by explaining that God provides all that His children need. He continues in verse 8. He says, They feast in the abundance of your house and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life and in your light do we see light. They find food and drink to sustain themselves. God provides all that His children need. And this is all coming from His steadfast love. Everything that God gives us comes from His love. In verse 9 there it says for you is the fo- for with you is the fountain of life and in your light do we see light again the net bible translate this translate this as for you are the one who gives us and sustains life that's a, that's a good way to translate the, the words there david saw god's love god's steadfast love his hesed as the source of all life not only did god give life out of love he sustains life out of love. Without God acting out of His steadfast, unchanging, undying love, man would not exist or be able to survive. God sustains mankind through His love. Again, that's the central idea of this psalm, that God provides all we could ever need through His steadfast love. David's petition or his request in this psalm this is the, the final three verses here, ten through twelve. And he says, "O oh, continue your steadfast love to those who know you, and your righteousness to the upright of heart." This is David's request. Not only does he recognize how faithful and how loving God has been throughout his life. And, and giving him all that he has and sustaining him. He pleads with God to continue that. To continue to pour out his love upon him and upon his children. Upon those who know him. Again, he, he uses the word hesed to, in his request of God. This time he asks God to continue to pour out his steadfast love. And then he, he, the next line is synonymous parallelism where he kind of repeats and reiterates his, his request. That pour out your steadfast love on those who know you and your righteousness on the upright of heart. It's saying the same thing in a different way. This is the third time that David has used the word hesed in this psalm. The steadfast love of God. In verse 5, he, he proclaims that the steadfast love of God extends to the heavens. There is no way to measure how much love God has. Verse 7, he speaks of it as precious. He says, How precious is your steadfast love? And then here, continue your steadfast love. David is all about the steadfast love of God. He has a great understanding of God's love. Do we? How do we think of the love of God? Do you thank God for His love? Do you thank God for all that He's done out of His love for you? Do you ask God to continue to pour out His love in your life? That's what David was doing here in this prayer of his in Psalm 36, his prayer to God. So do we pray like this? We should. Not only does David ask God to continue his love, but he continues in verse 11. He says, "...let not the foot of arrogance come upon me, nor the hand of the wicked to drive me away." He's asking God to spare him from his own pride. Now David began the psalm by describing the desperate state of the wicked and all that was that was all due to their pride and arrogance. Really, that was the root of the problem of the wicked. That their pride had blinded them and had turned them away from God and had caused them to not fear God. I mean, here, he's bringing it back around pleading with God to spare him from such a fate. He realizes his own sinfulness. That he too is prone to these things. That the only thing keeping him from being like these wicked is God's love. God sparing him from that. He asks God to spare him not only from his own pride and turning into these wicked people, but from the wicked themselves. He says, nor the hand of the wicked to drive me away. So he's asking for salvation and deliverance from God. And then in the last verse here, David shows some eternal perspective. He says, there the evildoers lie fallen. They are thrust down and unable to rise. The ultimate fate of the wicked is that they will be cast down and unable to rise. That is a different fate than the righteous have. Than those who have the love of God. The steadfast love of God is not for the wicked, the arrogant. Wicked people have no fear of God. We saw that in verse 1. And we see here in verse 10 continue your steadfast love to those who know you. The steadfast love of God is not for the wicked. This is the gospel, this is the good news of God's love. In His steadfast love, God sent forth His Son, Jesus. He sent Christ to be born of a virgin and to live the perfect life. And to give that life for sinners. To die in the place of those who would trust in Him and pay the penalty of that sin. God's steadfast love in the form of Christ is only available to those who repent of their sin and believe. Belief in Christ is the only way to salvation. And that steadfast love is not available to those who do not fear God and do not turn from their sin. The wicked, arrogant people who do not know God have already sealed their own fate. You must turn from your sin and believe in Christ to experience the steadfast love of God. The steadfast love of God is only for those who know God, not for those who have no fear of Him. It is through His hesed that God provides a way of salvation through the cross. And it is through that steadfast love that He provides all that we need. So, this Valentine's Day, this this holiday of love, as we all have love on our mind, whether we want to or not, as we think about love and our loved ones, think about this too. How do you think about the love of God? That is our standard, is it not? It should be. Do you ever ponder the love of God? And how that works. How He loves us. The ways that He loves us. Do you realize, like David did, that everything you have is provided by the love of God? David proclaimed that the steadfast love of God provides his children with safety. With sustenance. And with life itself. God is the one who gives and sustains life. And that comes through His love. Do you realize all that God has provided for you through His love? And do you thank Him for it? Or are you one of the people who have no fear of God? Are you more characterized by the beginning of this psalm where David was describing the wicked? They have no fear of God. Plot wickedness all the time. Their pride and arrogance is all they care about. If that describes you, you need to turn from your sin and believe in Christ for salvation. You need to confess your sin to God. If you do not, your fate is already sealed, like the wicked in the psalm. Do we pray like David did about the steadfast love of God? You can see the structure of how David prays here. He says, first he praises God that his, his steadfast love is immeasurable. It extends to the heavens and to the deepest seas. It's immeasurable. Then he goes in verse 7, how precious is your steadfast love? David values his, God's love more than anything. How precious is your steadfast love? And then he asked God to continue his steadfast love. Continue pouring out your love in my life. Do we pray like this? We should pray like this. I think David is providing us a good example of how to pray to God. David is all about the steadfast love of God. Are we? And on this Valentine's Day, when we celebrate love, let us remember God's love. The standard of love. Let's thank God for His love. And all the ways that He has shown that to us. Let's thank God for the way He has given us life and sustains our life. Especially, let's thank God for providing salvation. The ultimate act of love. And giving Christ to die for our sins so that we could know Him. God's steadfast love is for those who know Him, and without Christ, we would not know Him. And like David, let us pray that God would continue to pour out His steadfast love in our lives and to those that know Him. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank You for today. We thank You for um, this time of year where we can think about love and um, think about the way that You have um, given us the best example of love. We thank You for the way that You've shown us love and, and the way that You provide for us and the way that You take care of us and provide us safety. And we do pray that You would continue to pour out Your love on us. And we uh, thank You for this example from David to really uh, show us how to think about the love of God. Um, We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.